a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes Scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Have you completely dedicated every part of yourself to And I said, well, what's the answer? And she says, that's the trouble. The answer is always no. I said, well, let's ask the question a different way. Has Jesus given everything for you? Has he dedicated his whole life to you? Has he invited you into his heart? And the answer to that is a glorious and gracious and conscious, freeing, comforting yes. Uh, only then we, we hear the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to earth, uh, was born of a Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life uh, in our place, and died the death that we deserved, took on the full wrath of God. All that was done for us so that we could be called righteous and holy in the eyes of God. That's not going to help with the who wants to date a seminarian hotline right there. <laughs> Welcome to Table Talk Radio, the Lutheran theological game show that gives you a Christian vocabulary one buzzword at a time. I'm Evan Gigland. I was a little bit tired, but I don't know how I could be tired after that energetic bump. I know. <laughs> And now I'm all pumped up for about 30 seconds. Do, 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 what is it with you and energetic music? Yeah, I get. I got a phone call from Pastor yesterday. Hey, I think we should do a, uh, a show with all bumper music from movies or something. What did you just say? Yeah, a movie soundtrack with choirs in the background. <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, I'm constantly thinking about how to make the show better. <laughs> well, we couldn't. We we could try to do it in our content. Oh no, it's. No hope there. Yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> well, we'll attempt by doing so today uh, by uh, playing some bumper sticker theology, uh, some name that theologian, and also, I don't know what you used to call this game, but now I'm calling it, the new name I have for this game is Book of Concord B. So this, oh, is, where, like this is where we just read apart from the uh, Book of Concord, and you have to guess, Pastor, what document from the Book of Concord it's in. Yes. So that's our show lineup. Before we get started, uh, we do have a few weeks ago we we announced that we wanted all the uh, our listeners to uh, to, to write in, in or roll call, call in. Yeah, we had a little bit of a listener roll call, and so uh, we have we have all of our listeners. I, I don't know if we should reveal the number. Millions. It, we it, had just, m- just say, <laughs> it's more than we thought. I mean, we <laughs> thought we had three listeners, and it's more than three. Okay, well, the, in fact, we had three countries represented by our roll call. Can't I can't believe that? Uh, four actually. Four. We had Australia, countries. South Korea, England, and the United States of America. That's unbelievable. So there you go. Well, uh, we were gonna pick the winning listener. Um, now, Pastor, I told you how many we had, and you have to pick a number between the, those numbers. So. Okay. Well, I'm going to pick then. The lucky number. Seven. Oh, why did you why did you guess so low? All right. <laughs> the the lucky winner then is Bob in Milton, Florida. So Bob, thanks hey, for listening to Table Talk Bob Radio. In Florida. And uh, we'll get in touch with you about getting your uh, lucky Table Talk Radio prize. <laughs> what and, was the prize again? Oh, you were going to pick something from our store. I think our, our I think our uh, maternity T-shirt. I think Bob, would you like our? <laughs> I, this you have you could buy Table Talk Radio junk from our Table Talk Radio store. 
Uh, I think I think from the things purchased by this, uh, we've made three or four cents. Now, I though I went to visit my parents at Thanksgiving, oh, yeah. and they had a Table Talk Radio <laughs> mug, and a Table Talk Radio mouse pad, and two Table Talk Radio canvas carrying bags. Wow, uh, how'd they yeah. look? Oh yeah, great. My uh, Hannah said, "Dad, how come your face is on all this stuff?" <laughs> <laughs> Oma and Opa have. <laughs> Very good. Okay, well, time for some theological buzzwords. Yeah. The theological buzzword I have for you today, Pastor, is Magi. Oh, nice. And Christmas this, theme. This, yeah. Yes, that talks about... Uh, oh, Merry Christmas, by the way, everyone. Thank you. Same to you. Uh, this Magi is refers to the wise men who uh, followed the star of Bethlehem to find uh, the baby Jesus at uh, in the manger. So the Magi. Very good. And for you, uh, the theological buzz phrase is two natures. Oh, nice. Two natures. This is also a Christmas theme, so it refers to the two natures of our Lord Jesus, the only uh, person ever to have two natures. He has a, a fully human nature, including every part of our humanity, our essential humanity, uh, body, soul, mind, all this. Um, and then also a, the, the complete divine nature as the Son of God, and these two are united in the single person of Christ. So, two natures. All right. Um, now we need, we gave out this number uh, for your emergency theological uh, bumper sticker reporting. That's 866-851-5523. So when you're driving around and you see uh, terrible theology on a bumper sticker, you should call it in to Table Talk Radio. And uh, we have uh, some bumpers to talk about, and so let's listen to then the message. Hey guys, this is Mike from Rockford, Illinois. I have a couple bumper stickers for you. The first two I saw on the same car. One was Jesus is a liberal. The second was <laughs> being born once was good enough for me. Um, second. <laughs> batch of bumper stickers, only one was strictly theological, says, a uh, quote attributed to Gandhi, I like your Christ, um, then it said, but I don't like your Christians, they are so unlike your Christ, and this was one of many bumper stickers on a Volkswagen bus of some sort, so go figure, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> enjoy the show, keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. We thank you for that. Thank you for that call. Okay, let's start picking these off one at a time. Jesus is a liberal. What do you What do you make of that? Holy cow! Uh, I think this is nice to have the the bumper stickers paired with each other. So you got the Jesus is a liberal, and then the born again, born once is good enough for me. I think this to to look at the uh, the way the bumper stickers interact with each other, like they're in conversation, is kind of an interesting sort of thing. Um, <laughs> But this idea, Jesus is a liberal, um, well, in in one sense, I mean, really, to put the best construction on things, we could say, well, that's true, because, I mean, to be a liberal is to be interested in freedom, is it not? Uh, that's what liberal means. It comes from the word liberty. And Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Or, in, in another way, to be liberal <laughs> means to be free, uh, kind of giving in abundance. So, like, hey, you gave me a liberal portion of butter on that bread. Uh, and that's how the Lord is with his grace and mercy. I mean, he gives an abundance, pressed down, overflowing, etc., etc. But I have a feeling that that's not exactly what they meant. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it wasn't. 
there there is this great tendency, and the, and all of these bumper stickers, uh, the Gandhi one and the Jesus is a liberal one, show this tendency to make of Jesus whatever you want to make of him. So that uh, there's this impression that Jesus is just sort of a nice guy, just kind of nice, friendly. Uh, he he was open, accepting. Uh, he he would kind of go this way and that, and so you kind of tend to craft Jesus after your own image. Uh, someone quipped, you know, this Jesus seminar, these guys that roll the dice to figure out what what Jesus really said and what he didn't say. You oh, know what yeah. I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Uh, that they decide what Jesus said, and it just so happens that Jesus sounds like an ivory tower professor. Uh, just like all these guys who are deciding what he said. So that you Amazing. go in and you... God, what a coincidence. So you do this sort of thing, and, and uh, you take what you like of Jesus, and you throw out what you don't like, and, and you just have a Jesus now crafted after your own image. And so that's uh, that's what these bumper stickers kind of reveal, a tendency to do that. I, I, I do find it interesting, the language that's used here to reject... Uh, well, you know, but what they're really rejecting in the second one, being born once was good enough for me. Rejecting the Christians who talk about being born again as some sort of a religious experience, right? Uh, not they're not talking about the John three kind of being born again as in uh, water and the Spirit, uh, holy baptism. But I still, nonetheless, find it interesting that they're using this language to talk about w- uh, what they're rejecting. You know, you, you know what I mean? Like they they're using the kind of the the uh, the Christianese or the, these buzzwords, if you will, uh, to to throw it back and say I don't I don't need baptism or I don't need to be born again. Yeah, it is kind of an in-your-face anti-evangelism thing, you know, because it used to be people would come and ask people, are you born again? You know, that would be the how to start a conversation about evangelism. Now, I don't, you kind of, I mean, it's kind of, uh, I don't think that's really the best approach, but this is now, so it's rejecting that very thing. In other words, don't talk to me. I've got my own idea of Jesus. He's a liberal. I've got my own idea of what's good, being born once. Uh, I don't need it again, so don't talk to me about this stuff. I've I've already rejected your gospel, uh, and both these bumper stickers really are saying that very thing. Now let's, with about a minute here, let's talk about this last one from uh, Gandhi. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Yeah, did Gandhi really say that? Did you do any looking to see? I always heard that attributed to him, but I guess I don't know for sure. I'll look while you talk. Oh, I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna do the same thing. Well, this is, there's there's another tendency here because, look at, G, uh, people make of Jesus whatever they want to, which is bad. I think sometimes we got to put it together a bunch of the offensive sayings of Jesus to counteract this sort of thing. When when our Lord Jesus talks about hell and he and he talks about judgment and this sort of thing, because people don't see that as being attributed to him. And we can fight against this sort of thing. But uh, there's something else to see, say about this. I hear music coming, so That's right. Well, let's let's hold on to that and we'll we'll talk about that right after this break. Uh, stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio. We're going to be playing Name That Theologian and Book of Concord B. Right back on Table Talk Radio. Stickers on your car say a lot, a lot about who you are or who you're not. If you're not easily embarrassed, tell your friends about Table Talk Radio. Listen to Table Scraps Live. We're going to be talking about evolution and creationism with Dr. Charles Jackson of Creation Truth Foundation. You can listen to Table Scraps live on Pirate Christian Radio. 
Sunday, January the 3rd from 8 to 9 Central. That's Table Scraps Live Sunday, January the 3rd on Pirate Christian Radio, 8 to 9 Central Time. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio, everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show. I want to encourage you to listen to Table Scraps Live. This is going to be next week, January the 3rd. We're talking with Dr. Charles Jackson uh, with uh, Creation Truth Foundation about creation and evolution. You'll be able to call in live with your questions about evolution and talk to Dr. Dr. Jackson live. Just go to uh, tabletalkradio.org or over to piratechristianradio.com. And listen to us live January the 3rd, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock Central Time. All right, we're talking about this bumper sticker uh, apparently attributed to Gandhi. Well, he didn't make the bumper sticker, but the quote's from him. Um, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. So apparently, uh, okay, Christ, if, if Christians would only do the things that Christ told him told them to do, then Gandhi would be a Christian apparently. Or something. Well, maybe not, but I mean, <laughs> Gandhi was big on nonviolence, right? Uh, peacefulness and all this sort of thing. So you do have some of that in Jesus. Turn the other cheek. Uh, give someone, if someone demands your cloak, give them their your uh, your vest also. Um, all this kind of thing. So you do have a real sense uh, with Jesus that the, the Christian is not in the business of self-defense. So Gandhi was uh, maybe he liked that, and then he sees uh, the Christians, and they, um, uh, I don't know, they are not pacifist or something. I, I'm not exactly sure, but there is this constant uh, thing out there where Je- where people have a Jesus in their own image, and they and they then they like that because they like themselves, <laughs> but then they see these Christians and they say, hey, you're uh, you're not like my own image of Jesus. You're uh, either mean or fat or lazy or whatever. And so they don't like the Christians. But this, this is the point of the scriptures. We don't have that option. Jesus says uh, that he loves the church. This Ephesians 5 is maybe the best place for this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if you like Christ, you cannot not like his church. You don't have the option. He loves the church. You've uh, you, you got to love the church too. You don't have a choice, even if it's unlovable. Uh, we might say it like this. Uh, you know, if someone came up to... Uh, to to a husband and said, boy, I really like you, but your wife is really a pig. <laughs> you, I don't think that would be at all pleasing to the husband. And so it is when, when people say, well, I like you, Jesus, but I don't like your church. I, that is not at all pleasing to him either. Right. Now let's play a little mini game of uh, which ladder with these bumper stickers. This first one, Jesus is a liberal. Uh, ladder climbing going on. Yeah. Now, the, remember the three ladders are moralism, oh, yeah. mysticism, and emotionalism. These are the three. Wait, wait. I got that wrong. Moralism, mysticism, and rationalism. The 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 ladder of the of the will, the ladder of the emotions, and the ladder of the mind. And <clears throat> while liberalism uh, t- tends to see itself as an intellectual ladder, I really think it's kind of an emotional ladder. Uh, liberalism, in many ways, is kind of. Um, you see suffering in the world, and you have to have good intentions to fix it. So uh, it seems to me, now this is a broad stroke, but that political liberalism these days is simply uh, kind of applying the emotional bomb to real human problems. And so that's the ladder of mysticism. How about that? Uh, That'll work for me. 
I am a connoisseur of overgeneralizing, and that was a beauty <laughs> right there. Well, good job in that case. Uh, okay, uh, so the second one is being born once was good enough for me. What do you got? Well, I'm not sure about this one. Uh, it's kind of a naturalistic approach. Say, look, uh, I was born naturally, and that's all I need. And this is kind of an, a rejection of the supernatural, which is uh, one of the marks of the intellectual ladder. Uh, kind of the atheists tend to go for this route. So I would say this, if it, if we can pin it down, it's probably the ladder of rationalism. That's as that's as close as I think I can get on that one. Uh, and then this one that we were talking about with Gandhi. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Gandhi was a mystic. Uh, most most Eastern religions are. It's all about the connection with the divine within you. That spiritual that the realm for spiritual action is on the inside. So you're drawn into yourself through meditation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then from there you go out and engage with the world. So that would any mention of Gandhi, I think, automatically counts as mysticism. Okay, now that's uh, your quick game of which ladder with bumper sticker theology. Wait, I will you give, give you. I will give you two hundred yeah. points for for all that. Wow. <laughs> what am I gonna do with all of this? Okay, and next up, we're Did playing. You th- I just wrapped up your Christmas present, by the way. One thousand Table Talk Radio points. <laughs> Thank you. It's in the mail. <laughs> what What did that cost to ship? I'll tell you. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's pretty good. We should have been selling these for the uh, Christmas. Uh, yeah, give away give away points to your friends. <laughs> everyone's yeah, order, everyone's list. Table Talk Radio points. Order them at the store at tabletalkradio.org. I bought you Table Talk Radio points, um, and this could be the tagline: "It's cheaper than coal." <laughs> <laughs> nice oh, boy. Okay, so we're playing name that theologian, and today, yeah, Pastor, now we are. I have We're switching switching gears here. Yeah, new game. Okay. Bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, I have some audio clips for you. So this maybe gives you a hint about what time period this theologian comes from. Um, but we've had audio around for a while, so good luck. But anyway, um, here's the first one, and then you can just kind of talk about uh, what is being said in this in this clip. What do we mean by bound conscience? And I think we cannot expect that to be a closed question, but it needs to be an open conversation. I think, let's admit, that phrase in and of itself is fairly new, and it can be confusing because we know the Luther quote of my conscience is bound to the Word of God, but we've begun to learn through scholars like Timothy Wengert and others that Luther also talked about a conscience not only bound to the Word of God, but a conscience bound to the Word of God is then free to be bound also to one's neighbor. All right, that's your first quote. What's your reaction to what was said? Uh, Well, uh, yes, this is new audio. Uh, uh, So I know that. It's got to be contemporary after 1750. It's a discussion of Luther, and normally you have this kind of Luther discussion by a Lutheran. So I'm going to guess that it's the person is would like to take the name Lutheran. That's just going to be a guess. Uh, Tim Wengert is a, also a new scholar, Luther scholar. So um, uh, and understanding this conscience being bound not only to God's word but also to the neighbor is it's this is kind of pushing things in a in a social justice direction. I'm going to I'm going to guess it's going to go that way. Although I'll look forward to some more audio to try to pin it down. 
Yeah. Now, would you talk just briefly about what Luther meant when he was talking about his conscience being bound to the Word of God? Well, he, this is a formal principle question for Luther. In other words, what, uh, where do I go to learn the truth? And the and the answer is the Scriptures. Uh, that's where I go to to learn what God says of me and of Himself and of the world, etc. So that if you come along as a church council or as the uh, Pope or as anyone else, uh, my conscience isn't bound to that word if it contradicts the Word of God. The Word of God alone is sufficient. The Word of God alone is infallible uh, and a place where we can learn the, the truth. When Luther would talk about being bound to your neighbor, this is a different sort of thing. This talks about how we owe a debt of love to our neighbor because of the fact that we're... Um, that in Christ we we are to love our neighbor and to care for him and this sort of thing. But it's a totally different question. One's a question of uh, of where we know the truth, and the other is a question of where we live out our Christian life. All right, well, here is, here's another quote. The word of God is clear, thou shalt not kill. But somehow, conscience is bound to that word of God, have moved from that word of God to some a, a position say, but I can still faithfully participate in military service and engage in what I determine to be a just war. And others, bound to the same word of God in their conscience, have been led to say, for the sake of the neighbor, I am a pacifist. I cannot take up arms. And Luther even said there will be selective moments of such conscientious objection. Well, it takes a community to understand how we live constantly in that tension. All right, that's the second quote. Uh, Pastor, what do you think of that one? That's interesting. Uh, I mean, this first discussion of pacifism, this is, uh, thou shall not kill, or, or better, you shall not murder, the fifth commandment, is, is not understood, is never understood in the Lutheran tradition to, to enforce pacifism. In fact, in the large catechism, Luther will talk about this saying that while the individual is bound not to murder, uh, that the state is not. And in fact, God explicitly gives to the state the authority to wield the sword, that is, to capital punishment, to wage just wars. Uh, and so this the, is not what the Fifth Commandment is talking to. So it is an interesting sort of thing to bring this into the discussion uh, of consciousness, objection, pacifism, the Fifth Commandment, uh, the bound will, and this sort of thing. Uh, this, uh, so I'm not sure. I mean, do you have a few things to add about that? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's it's interesting that when he, he connects then um, this consciousness, I mean, when Luther, that that his conscience was, was bound to the word of God, but then can be in, interpreted with you know, this bigger community according to this this theologian, whoever he might be. I get very wary, by the way, of the word community. Interpretation <laughs> in community. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeesh. But see, when you do that, then you've completely erased anything that the Word of God would have had on your conscience, because then, because you've then taken what was reliable, but then added to something that is unreliable for truth. And then now, right. what is truth? Right. Okay, well, exactly. we need to then go to a break, and you'll get one more quote from this theologian right after this break. Uh, more Table Talker Radio and Name That Theologian. Also coming up later in the program, Book of Concord B, where Pastor Oof. will get no points. We'll be right back on Table Talk Radio.
No online petition necessary. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Every story has a beginning. Even the story of the universe. Some 13.7 billion years ago, a mysterious event thrust the universe into motion in a big bang. Wait, really? If the Bible says that God created everything in six literal days, and yet science can prove that this universe came into motion by a big bang, a slow change over long periods of time and random chance, doesn't science then disprove the Bible? If we can't trust Genesis 1, how can we trust any other part of the Bible that says Jesus died and rose again? But is there really scientific evidence for evolution? That's the topic of our discussion for the broadcast of Table Scraps Live. This is the first live broadcast of Table Scraps, and we're doing it with Dr. Charles Jackson of Creation Truth Foundation, and we're going to address your hard questions about evolution. What scientific evidence do you have that would discount the creation account? Call in and present it to Dr. Jackson of Creation Truth Foundation. That's Table Scraps Live, Sunday, January the 3rd, from 8 to 9 Central Time. And you can tune in to Table Scraps Live on PirateChristianRadio.com. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Merry Christmas, everyone. That bumper has uh, that bump music has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> what we're, we're that is Luther's Christmas hymn. It is, yes. From heaven above to earth I come. Uh, which I always thought the, the the person that came from heaven above to earth was Jesus, but it's actually talking about the angels coming to sing of the birth of Christ to the shepherds there. Oh, nice. Well, yeah. we have another Luther hymn that relates to that at the beginning of the fourth segment. You have to listen for that, too. Uh, I can't wait. All right. Well, we're talking about uh, uh, this In fact, why don't we just skip this segment and go <laughs> on to the next? Are you worried? Are you worried you're going to get this? Theolo- we're playing Name That Theologian, and we have a couple quotes, uh, the audio edition of this, apparently. Uh, we have a couple quotes about uh, some theologian talking about how uh, relating the bound conscience of what Luther talked about being bound to the Word of God uh, now then can be uh, interpreted through some sort of a community. So you, know, you have uh, someone who the, the scriptures that say clearly that uh, you shall not kill, but yet you have someone, uh, one person who takes that Word of God and, and finds it's fit to go fight in the war, but the same person, another person, takes that same Word of God and, and deems himself a pacifist. So uh, how then does that interpret, uh, how does that affect our interpretation of Scripture today? So these are the, the few quotes before you, Pastor Wolfman. Are you ready for the, the, the third and final quote from your theologian? I think so, although I, I'm having a tough time with this one. I, I, it seems to me like a Lutheran who is taken a couple of steps away from Lutheranism but doesn't want to admit it, that someone's that's done the, the heresy two-step. But I, <laughs> but I don't want to be so bold because I could be totally wrong. This could be a legitimate theologian. Uh, but let's see if this one will clear it up, this third quotation. We shall see if this helps. The human sexuality statement is a broad uh-huh. statement, and one of my concerns has been that since Minneapolis, 
the conversations and the attention seem to be particularly upon that section dealing with homosexuality. But even within that section, we do not take a defined position as a church, but we recognize the diversity of positions held by bound consciences informed by the Word of God throughout this church. The ministry policies decisions also, they provide a way for congregations who feel ready and open to call a pastor or a lay rostered person in a publicly accountable, lifelong, monogamous, same-gender relationship to do so. But those same ministry policy decisions also recognize that congregations who hold a traditional view of homosexuality and want to remain committed to the standards of this church that have existed up till now can and should have the right to teach and order their ministries accountable uh, in, accordingly. All right. Any idea who this theologian yeah, is? This is this um, <laughs> Bishop Hansen of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America uh, talking about this recently in, uh, published, past and published uh, human sexuality document by the ELCA. So I think I was then right on my estimation <laughs> at the beginning. Oh, boy. Yes. Okay, well, uh, this this is the argument that I've got from people that I've talked to about this. Uh, say, well, it's not like they're just going out and, and, and living in this homosexual uh, lifestyle, which they're you know finding a, a new person uh, every weekend, but they're in lifelong monogamous relationships. My question is because not only did they allow for a homosexual but also uh, bisexual and, and transgendered, how then is someone in a lifelong monogamous bisexual relationship? Yeah, uh, mono and bi seem to be two different things, don't they? Mono being one and bi being two. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a kind of a strange uh, question that you ask. How can you be, and this is uh, maybe those of you with children listening, you might want to tune out for uh, a minute or two, uh, but how can you be bisexual and monogamous at the same time? Yeah, it doesn't quite make sense, does it? Yeah. So the whole thing—I mean, the whole thing—as an example of our uh, now famous, worldwide famous uh, heresy two-step. Everyone's doing this now, <laughs> where you take an idea, <laughs> you take an idea in the scripture, like marriage, and then you just pile up onto it all sorts of abstractions, like uh, lifelong monogamous, loving, supporting relationship. And so then you, th- so then people think you're talking about marriage, but you've now opened it up to define it as something different. You plug in different people, so you don't have to have a man and a woman. You could plug in two, uh, two men or two women or um, uh, some sort of combination thereof, and then you got a mess on your hands. You really do have a mess on your hands. But here in, in this uh, in this quotation from Bishop Hansen, you have this discussion like, oh, it's not a big deal because look, we leave the possibility open for people to hold to the traditional understanding of it. Well, who cares about the traditional understanding of it? What's the scriptural understanding of it? I mean, this document has said that the scriptures ought to be interpreted uh, not as condemning homosexuality, but as leaving this as a as a, some sort of open discussion, and they have not. So, but to kind of try to temper that with this thing, well, the church has traditionally understood marriage as man and woman, and if we don't want to bind, change people's ideas, who cares about what the church said traditionally if it's not what the scripture says? So why don't you have some courage and say, look, the scripture here says that uh, that homosexuality is good. If if you would have the courage to say that, then we could actually have a discussion. Uh, but he he just kind of waffles and uh, as if the truth of a thing, as if what the scriptures say, don't don't. 
uh, it doesn't really matter. And yeah. of course, I mean, the reason why I think he has to do that is because the scriptures are clear on the point uh, that that the Lord intends for marriage to be between a man and a woman and anything else, any sort of sexual intimacy or activity outside of a married man and woman is breaking the sixth commandment and committing adultery. It, the, the types that usually say that homosexuality, uh, we should be accepting homosexuality because uh, by doing so, we uh, are, are accepting of all people. What they end up doing uh, by taking this position are then not being accepting of people that believe in the Bible, that believe that this, the scripture is true and what it, what it plainly says. As you hear, you're trying to be more accepting to all people, but then you're excluding the people that believe the word of God. Right. I mean, that was it uh, really at the, in the convention, too, is they, they tried to say this is not a distinction of people who believe the Bible and people who don't. And both people have uh, the Bible on their side, but this is really, really stretching. Uh, it's, in fact, it makes the Bible so stretchy uh, that you can hardly recognize it. When you get a wax nose this waxy uh, and you can bend <laughs> it every which direction, then you can no longer recognize the face that's behind that nose. That's a pretty stretchy last nose. <laughs> All right. Do we have uh, – you have a theologian for me? We have about oh, sure, four minutes sure. here. Four minutes. All right. I'm, mostly I just grabbed the two books that I've been reading, so that might uh, give you an idea. But I'll, I'll flip through here and find some nice uh, quotes for you and uh, – and see if you can get it. You, you, by the way, got 200 points for guessing uh, correctly, presiding Bishop Mark Hansen of the ELCA. All right. That's a total of 400 points. Boy. Okay. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, contains the teaching of Jesus on the life of a disciple. That sermon begins with an astonishing summary of his teaching. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5-3. Here Jesus congratulates those who are spiritually impoverished and commends spiritual poverty as a mark of discipleship. Wow, Ooh, that's okay. good stuff. So uh, th- this is, you know, it's been almost traditionally, uh, I don't know if I'd say traditionally, but commonly interpreted that the, the, the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount is, is a whole new, like a whole new Ten Commandments in a sense. Uh, that Jesus is giving you a, a whole new things to do. So here I am trying to be poor and all these things, and I need to be meek and all, you know, all the like. But what what I think this theologian is saying then is that uh, what what Jesus proclaims on the on the Sermon on the Mount is that those who are poor in spirit, so th- those who who uh, confess their sins, those who find that they have they have uh, nothing before God in and of themselves, those who, uh, have the kingdom of of heaven because. Uh, they must solely trust upon Jesus for salvation. Yes, wonderful, isn't it? Yes. So that's one. I I have no idea who this is, though, so I need, I need another one. Okay, I'll turn the page, read some more here. Uh, in our spiritual journey from the font to the grave, we walk before God the Father as beggars. Yet this is only half the story. We may be beggars, but paradoxically, we also associate with the holy angels. This wonderful paradox is confessed most clearly in the divine service by the curious juxtaposition of the Kyrie, Lord have mercy, the prayer of a beggar, and the Gloria, glory to God in the highest. In the Kyrie and also in the prayers of the Gloria, we join the company of beggars who all appeal for mercy from Jesus as our advocate before the Father. But in the Gloria, we join with the angels who stand in adoration and joy before God the Father as they glorify him. Oh, very good. So you almost have this this law gospel dynamic with within the the divine service, so that 
that in the Kyrie, singing, Lord, have mercy, you are this poor in spirit. But in the, in the Gloria, you're singing with angels, uh, having re- received the uh, forgiveness and righteousness uh, of God, uh, and, and receiving these heavenly things within the context of the liturgy itself. Uh, really beautiful. Um, again, I have no idea. We're coming up on a break here, but uh, perhaps I can think about it, ponder these things a little bit, and, uh, and, and get one more quote from you on the other side of the break, and hopefully successfully name this theologian. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. We like to hear from our listeners. You can call our listener response line, 866-851-5523, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. Go to our website, tabletalkradio.org. We have all of our past shows and uh, also our articles and some other things, table scraps, all kinds of great things on that website. We'll be right back to finish up Name That Theologian and Play Book of Concord B on Table Talk Radio. All right. Stay tuned for more gospel teaching on Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. In the middle of playing Name That Theologian and getting into some Book of Concord B. I have two quotes, and they're really good quotes, uh, from Pastor Wolf Miller. Well, the quote, he didn't say that. Oh, no. Not from him, but he gave them to me. Uh, bless, <laughs> talking about the Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount of the uh, Beatitudes, and also you know, the Kyria being uh, the poor in spirit, and then... Uh, Rejoicing with the angels in the Gloria and the divine service. I need another one to figure out who this is, though. Is this, by the way, our last segment, or do we have another one? Yes, this is the, this is it. Oh man, okay. Um, here, this one might give it away from you. The, there's a little autobiography in this final quotation. In the Old Testament and in the Jewish tradition, the angels were called holy ones because they had open access to the heavenly realm. Thus, it comes as a surprise for me, as an Old Testament scholar that in the New Testament, Christians are so commonly called, quote, the saints, that is, the holy ones of God. Jesus became a human being and sanctified the whole human life cycle from the womb to the tomb so that he could share his holiness with us bodily and join us with the angels in the great communion of the saints, the company of holy ones. I, this is just incredible stuff. So here's another line. We, therefore, are holy beggars, people who are on the same footing as the angels, Yet we have that status only in Christ, for we are holy in him. Paradoxically, the more we become beggars before God and live by his grace, the more reason we have to perform the song of praise together with the angels, the song that they sing about God's glory in heaven and his peace on earth. 
This is really quite wonderful. Yeah, it really is. Um, I should have said earlier that I, I had kind of figured out it was a more contemporary uh, theologian, so after 1750. Um, but I think even more recent than that. I'm not sure. I'm going to guess that this is um, – I think I'm – I'm not so certain on his first name. But I think it's John Kleinig. Is that right? You're right. All John right. Kleinig. This, I'm reading from this book, Grace Upon Grace, Spirituality for Today, from the Australian professor – John Kleinig. So yeah, that, I could have read it with an Australian accent. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would have worked. It would have worked fine. Uh, yeah, the Old Testament scholar uh, gave it away uh, with because I knew he's an Old Testament guy, but also I mean he's really into the saints and, and things like this too. So good. Yes, this is really uh, quite quite good stuff. This book is available by from CPH Concordia Publishing House. CPH.org. I, I think it's on back order, unfortunately, but maybe by the time you're listening to this, they'll have some more in stock. Uh, but it's uh, it's worth uh, it is well worth it. This book is just phenomenal. So, all right. Now, when we play uh, Book of Concord B, do I just give you one quote from each thing, or do you get more than that? One at just one. That's Oof. all I get. Whoa. All right. So now we're switching games again in the middle of a segment. We should have some sort of sound for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, as I find my first quote here, why don't you tell the listeners, for maybe some that don't know, what is the Book of Concord anyway? Ah, the Book of Concord is a collection of documents, beginning with the three creeds, the Apostles, the uh, Nicene, and the Athanasian Creed, which came early in the church, and finishing up with the formula of concord which was written published in 1577 uh, a lutheran document on the different um uh, disputes that that came out after luther's death and has altogether 10 different documents and they are put together in the book of concord published in 1580 and they are the standard of what a lutheran church teaches believes confesses uh if, if someone says hey what do you lutherans believe anyways you say how much time do you have and if they have a lot of time then you read to them the book of concord <laughs> Right. Well, that's and that's the wonderful thing because you know if you claim to be a Lutheran, then you should believe what the Book of Concord says. So yeah, that it is a right exposition of the Holy Scriptures, and we bind ourselves to it because of that. And so these ten documents and the way this game works is, uh, Evan comes along and reads a quotation from one of these ten documents that make up the Book of Concord, and I have to guess which particular document it comes from. And when I do so successfully, he gives me tons if. and tons of points. Okay. Well, here's your first one. Consider this true Almighty Lord, our Creator and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, after the Lord's Supper. He is just beginning his bitter suffering and death for our sins. In those last sad moments, with great consideration and psalmity, he institutes this most venerable sacrament. It was used until the end of of the world with great reverence and obedience. It was with an abiding memorial of his bitter suffering and death of all the benefits. It was a sealing and confirmation of the New Testament, a, consol- a, a consolation of, the, all, of all distressed hearts, and a firm bond of unity for Christians with Christ, their head, with one another. In ordaining and instituting the Holy Supper, he spoke these words about the bread, which he blessed and gave. Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, and about the cup or wine, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Ooh. 
this, of course, is talking about the Lord's Supper here, and it's emphasizing the fact that Jesus is not horsing around when he gives the Lord's Supper. I mean, it's in this most solemn hour. It's on the night in which he was betrayed. It's it's just, I mean, the, remember how it was in the scriptures that Jesus uh, prepared the room, brought the disciples there, celebrated the Passover meal, and then afterwards instituted the Lord's Supper, and then they went out to the garden uh, where they sang hymns, Jesus Sorry, they sang a hymn, went to the garden, Jesus went off and prayed, and then was arrested and in trials all night until the next day when he was crucified. So this, so, so this is um, emphasizing the fact that, that the Lord's Supper is given at this very, very important time in our Lord's life. And so he's not using flowery words, he's actually giving a testament. Um, now, this this fact that the the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper are legal language, part of a, a will and testament, is really become a, becomes a theme through Lutheran orthodoxy. Uh, Luther, you can see it a little bit in Luther, but it really is strengthened uh, in the next generation. So I'm I, I'm going to think I, I think this is going to come a little bit later, making it part of the formula of Concord. That is correct. Yes, now, is... wait, hold on, hold, oh, on, hold oh. on, hold on. I'm going to guess the article here for extra points. Can I do that? Sure. The discussion of the Lord's Supper in the form of Concord, this is Article 7, is it not? So I'm going to say Article 7 of the formula. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I get double extra points since you don't, since that, you have to look this enough? up. Um, that is correct. Uh-huh. So you'll get an extra, or a total of 400 points for all that oh. nonsense. Okay. You ready for another one? Sure. Okay. We need to find something on two natures here. <laughs> it was it was impossible for them to teach correctly about <laughs> repentance since they do not know what sin really is. As has been shown above, they do not believe correctly about original sin. Rather, they say that the natural powers of human beings have remained unimpaired and and uncorrupted they believe that reason can teach correctly so that the will can do what is right and god certainly bestows his grace when a person does as much as he can according to his free will i by the way caught your reference to the, your buzzword two natures there at the beginning i thought it was fine though i mean you're not going to get any more points so i'll give you four, <laughs> 400 points for that bringing it to a total of 600 now, this is a discussion, this quotation is a discussion of original sin. It's fantastic. It says, look, if you do not have the doctrine of original sin right, then you can't get anything else right. And what's original sin? Is that our nature is completely fallen, uh, that we cannot uh, receive anything good from God uh, um, according to our sinful nature. The sinful man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's 1 Corinthians. So that verse becomes the key. And so if you don't teach on sin right, then you don't teach on forgiveness right. I mean, if you think that sin is only uh, an injury to our nature, then then the gospel becomes fixing that injury, kind of binding it up so then you can do right and do good. And if you can do right and do good, then your whole spiritual life now is about doing that right and good. But this is not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that we're dead in trespasses and sins, so that the gospel has to come and give us a resurrection. Now, this discussion sounds an awful lot to me like how Melanchthon, this uh, theologian, Luther's right-hand man until he died and then went nutty, uh, Philip Melanchthon, uh, writes about 
sin in the in his apology or defense of the Augsburg Confession, Article 3, when he's talking about the Article of Justification. So I'm going to guess apology to the Augsburg Confession. No, I'm sorry. This is in a small called, actually. Is it really? Yes. So that's Luther, uh, Luther teaching on this sort of thing. Uh, so this would be what small called Part Three, uh, Article Three. Three, three. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's pretty good stuff too. All right. They talk. They talk very similar to the same. And Luther will then go on and say, "Look, at our sin is so intense that it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us in the Scriptures. We don't even know how sinful we are apart from God revealing it to us." And that one was worth 800 points, and you missed it, so you're down to zero. <laughs> you don't so lose points. Evan, Evan wins to 400 to zero. <laughs> oh, it's amazing how we fight over these points, even though uh, in just uh, 30 seconds you're going to tell us what these points are worth. Oh, we're that anyway. close to the end. Thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. What, that's it? Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> tune in to Table Scraps Live January the 3rd, 8 to 9 Central Time with Dr. Jackson talking about evolution. Thank you all for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like a Christmas sermon that doesn't mention Jesus. Absolutely useless. <laughs>